Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. So glad you're here. Grab a Bible, start turning over to Mark chapter 9. And uh, you might want to grab either your phone, uh, get ready to write down a couple of Bible verses. You might want to look up later. I will be um, uh, sharing them with you, but you might just want to jot these down and go back and look at them a little later. You'll understand maybe why uh, as we go on through this message. Of why I think you're going to want to write it down. I think you're going to want to go back. I think you're going to look, look at uh, those verses and maybe reread them once again. So we're talking today about the transfiguration. You might know the story of when Jesus' uh, clothes became like dazzling white, like bleach, like lightning, like the sun. You know, different uh, commentators, or I mean different, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all reference Jesus changing uh, in different ways. We're going to look at this from a really interesting perspective today. There's actually two primary needs that I believe every person who's ever been created have. We have these two needs. Now, we've got other needs as well, but I'm going to highlight two needs because it's, it's, um, it impacts all of us and our life on a daily basis. And these are two things that are really important. Here's what they are. I'll just tell you what they are. And then you're going to see how they actually show up in this transfiguration. One need that we all have is to love and be loved for who we are. And second one is to know others and to be known by others. We want to be known, but we also want to know. And those are two things that you're going to see in the transfiguration that actually come out uh, in a very real way. And you're going to see how this actually impacts us in our lives. Uh, it's interesting, when I was uh, in Guatemala, you know, I was there for two years. And, uh, and there's some things that were so ingrained in me that Still to this day, after all these many years later, uh, it's who I am. It's actually changed my behavior and how I do it, especially when it's with other people. Like, we, it's amazing in America that you can walk up, you can talk to somebody and never have a clue who they are. You can talk to them for a long time and walk away, and then somebody say, well, who was I? I say, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you ever notice we can do that? The other thing that was really ingrained in me is if you notice when you're done with a, conver a conversation, Americans don't know what to do. We don't know how to get out of the conversation. So we just kind of take a step back and we slowly turn and then we just walk away. And in Guatemala, that would be extremely rude because you always just very simply say, con permiso, with permission. They say, pase, just means, you know, can I leave now? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. You know, see you later. God be with you. God bless you. They'll say something like that. But the other thing that, that I really learned, and it became part of who I am, is if I ever walk into a group of people and I don't know who they are, I'll either say, my name's Ed, what's your name? Or I'll say, what's your name? And they'll tell me, and I say, my name's Ed. And, and that's like immediate. Like, like you want to know who they are. And, and they might want to know who I am, or maybe they don't want to know who I am, but I'm going to tell them who I am anyways, to at least tell them my name. And I'm more apt to go through the embarrassment of saying, I don't remember your name, or please remind me of your name, as opposed to going, 
I forgot their name, forgot their name. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to be embarrassed. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to talk to them, walk away, and go, who was that? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I'll, I'd much rather say, can you please remind me of your name? And I've never heard anybody get offended when you say it that way. Please remind me of your name. It means I knew, but I forgot. I'm sorry. But remind me of your name. See, because I think there's a need for all of us to know who we're talking to and know other people, but we also have this need to want to be known. We want people to know our names. We want people to remember our names. I mean, any leadership conference that you'll go to, there's all kinds of ways that to help you remind yourself of who somebody is, how to remember their name. Why? Because it is so important. It's important to us to be called by name. So to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, we're going to come back to this. And God knew this. I'm going to, before we even get to Mark, you know, one of the reasons why people get married um, is because it was God's concept and it was, it was God wanting the two to become one. See, He wanted them to know each other and really know each other. In fact, did you know that the word know actually in the Hebrew also means to be very intimate with a spouse? So that if you go back and you read like in Genesis chapter 4 that, that it says Adam like slept with his wife, Adam lay with his wife, I mean had sex with his wife. The versions all do something different, but you know what the Hebrew word is? Adam knew his wife. Knew. Known. Intimacy. Intimately. And there's no way around this. Let me just read to you. This first one is from Genesis uh, chapter 2. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The first thing I want you to see, like why would, why would God want us to know they were naked and had no shame? Because you can't hide, can you? You can't hide. When you don't have clothes, you can't hide. That's part of it. That God says to a husband and a wife, you should know each other so well, you should be able to see each other as they are. It's also why some of you have gone through divorce. Divorce is far worse than death. Far worse than death. And the reason why divorce is so hard, if you've gone through this and you know the pain of that, it's because somebody knew you and rejected you, or you rejected them. And there's, that just messes with us when somebody knows us that intimately and then says, I reject you. And the pain that goes along with that is insurmountable. I mean, it's, just, it's ginormous. Don't ever underestimate how, hurt or how hard that is to go through. It's because God wants us to be known, wants us to know, created marriage so that we can know and have the safety of knowing and that's why divorce can be so hard. All right, with all that being said, I think you're going to appreciate a little bit more what the transfiguration story is all about. So Mark chapter 9, uh, we're going to dive into there at verse 2. 
So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. We're just going to read the whole thing first. Where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Pretty simple story, and you're probably like, okay, Ed, what's this have to do with love, being loved, no, being known? You'll see. Hold on just a minute. Uh, let's go through a little bit. On, uh, so they went up to this place called Mount Tabor. Here's a picture of it. And uh, you can't miss it. Uh, that's Mount Tabor. Uh, it's about 11 miles from the Sea of Galilee if you're heading west. And so as they journeyed from probably the Sea of Galilee, which is a lot, where a lot of our stories happen, then they get to this place by Mount Tabor, and Jesus uh, says to only three, it's interesting, Peter, James, and John, not all 12, three who he's going to get to know very intimately, or they're going to get to know him very intimately, and they're going to see him as he really is. And he says to Peter, James, and John, let's go, boys. We're going up to the top. One of the other gospel writers says to pray. So how would you like to be on the bottom when Jesus said, boys, we're going up to the top. We're going to go pray. Uh, Peter, James, and John and the other nine are like, whew, glad it's you guys, not us. Have fun. Have a good trip. Have a good hike. And they hiked it up. It's 1,800 feet high. So imagine hiking up 1,800 feet and, uh, and they get to the top, and the other gospel writer says that they were tired. Can you imagine? And it was, it was nighttime, and they fell asleep. Are you surprised? I mean, if you just hiked up 1,800 feet, sat down at a tree, and closed your eyes for just a moment, and it's dark out, uh, you'd probably just drift off to sleep as well. And that's what happened to the three disciples. While he was there, verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean that his clothes became white. It's very simply this. In the, in the man Jesus, God dwelt God dwells in us, but he was fully God in this human body. Fully human, fully God. And for a few moments, God let it rip. I mean, he just showed. See, they got to see God firsthand. Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus for who he really is. They got to know him like nobody else got to know. Nobody else on planet Earth except these three got to see Jesus as he really is in God. Like who God was. 
And when God's glory, now remember in heaven there is no sun, there's no moon. God's glory fills everything. That same glory all of a sudden radiated just like the body could not contain it anymore. Jesus had it contained for 33 years of his life on planet earth. And then in one moment, he just let it rip and just like, you get to see me, boys, as I really am. Now, I'm going to read to you from John 17. This is Jesus' prayer. John 17, verse 24 says this. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And Peter, James, and John got to see a glimpse of God's glory, like in its full brilliance, radiance, and they were overwhelmed. I mean, God just shone. See, and this is what I don't want you to miss, that they got to see Jesus as he really is. Nothing held back. They got to see it. And the impact on a human being when you see God, because if we go back, and Moses wanted to see God, God said, if you see me, you'll die. So God puts him in a cleft of a rock. God shows his backside, whatever that means, we don't really know. But God shows Moses his backside, and Moses' face glows because he got to see God. And then Moses would go into the tabernacle and meet with God along the way, and his face would radiate with the same glory of God, so much so that the people, the Israelites, said, you're kind of freaking us out here, Moses. That's Ed's paraphrase. Put a veil over your face. It's just bothering us to see you radiate like this. We don't like it. And it kind of bothers us. So Moses would go into God, take off the veil, meet with God. His face would radiate from the glory of God. And then he put a veil on his face and he'd come out and it would be, he'd be veiled. You see, there's something about the glory of God that most people never ever get to see until they get to heaven, which is why when we get to heaven, most people, the first thing that they talk about is the, what? Light. Why? Because it's the glory of God. And you get to be anywhere in the presence of God, anywhere at all, and you get to see this unbelievable light. And Jesus showed himself to them. Now here's what's crazy. They were frightened because they couldn't imagine, like, oh my goodness, this is really God. And when they come to grips with that, I'm sure, even though we don't have any record of what they were thinking about, but when you think about who Jesus really is, containing this human being was an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, an omnipresent God. I'm with you always. I can, God can be everywhere. God can do everything. And God knows everything. Crazy. His body could not contain his godliness, if you will. Okay, verse 4. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. 
Uh, this is actually one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. You know why? Do you remember back in 1985, there was a movie, a movie of, uh, by Michael J. Fox called Back to the Future. Now, I know I've shared this with you before, but it's just so incredible. Moses and Elijah appear from heaven. Now, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except Jesus didn't go to the cross yet and rise yet. See, Moses and Elijah and all the people of the Old Testament are saved based on what the Messiah is going to do, but he didn't do it yet. And everybody after the resurrection is saved based on what Jesus did on the cross and rising again three days later. So we're saved on what he did. Everybody in the Old Testament was saved based on what he was going to go do, but he didn't do it yet. So here's why it's a back to the future kind of thing. I think it's Matthew who wrote that Moses and Elijah showed up and this is what they were talking about. God even gives us a glimpse. He says they talked about his departure that was coming up, his death coming up, like his death and resurrection. And there was probably nothing more encouraging for Jesus like, you know, Jesus, why you're going to go die and suffer on a cross because we're saved based on what you're going to do. You have to do it. You have to. Be encouraged. We're saved because of what you're going to go do. So do it boldly. Do it knowing that we're saved because of what you're going to go do. We're the proof of your salvation, if you will. And this is what's so amazing. This is why it's a back to the future. What if Jesus would have gone, I don't think I'm going to go to the cross. Moses and Elijah, they would have vanished. Because if there's no death and resurrection, there's no salvation. Moses and Elijah would have just, what would have happened? They would have just gone away. Kind of like if you remember Back to the Future, some of the figures started to like get fuzzy like they were about to vanish. Why? Because future was changed. And so I love it. It's like God's version of Back to the Future that they're saved because of what he was going to do, but didn't do it yet. And I would imagine that gave Jesus encouragement. Like, I have to go to the cross. We're worth it, meaning us. We're worth it. It's the only way for us to get to heaven, to see the glory of Jesus is through his death and resurrection. It's incredible. And here's the disciples. They're so afraid. Um, you know, aren't we all like Peter? Verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Have you ever heard of mountaintop experience? That's probably where it came from. It was a mountaintop experience. They didn't want it to end. 
if we put up three shelters, uh, maybe they'll stay. Maybe your friends Moses and Elijah will just stay here for a long time. And we can savor this moment for as long as possible. But of course, that wasn't God's goal. But he was frightened. He was just speaking out of fear and fright. And then here, this is incredible. Verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. What would that have been like to hear God, the Father, speaking? This is my Son, whom I love. I would imagine that would be something that they would replay in their minds daily. The Father loves the Son, and we got to experience it. How amazing. See, see, inside every one of us, this is what I was saying before, inside every one of us is this deep desire to be loved for who we are. We're broken, but we want to be loved for who we are. We're sinners, but we want to be loved for who we are. We don't want to be loved for who somebody wants us to be. We want to be loved for who we are, but God in His love for us loves us who we are, but never leaves us where we are and keeps encouraging us to get better and become more like Jesus. But God loves us for who we are, takes away all the sin, and forgives us so that what's left is the good. Did you hear that? God says He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That means when God looks at us, He sees Jesus in us, whom He loves. And when God sees Jesus in us, God looks at us and says the same thing. This is my child, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. Because when we've got Jesus, God loves us incredibly. Words can't even express that love. Unconditional love. For God so loved the world. And so when God sees Jesus in us, His love just pours out. He loves the whole world. But when God sees His Son, He says the same thing. This is my child whom I love. That's how God feels about us. That's His love for us. All right, there's three takeaways. I'm going to read some verses for you. Three takeaways. Number one, heaven is real. I don't want you to ever be doubtful that heaven is real. Moses and Elijah kind of like proved that heaven is real. That Moses and Elijah are still alive and still alive today with God. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only is heaven real, but the promise of God that he's coming back. He's coming back and he's going to take you to be with him so that you can be in heaven with him, see his glory, and you get to meet Moses and Elijah. Pretty amazing. Here's the second thing. God knows us intimately. We said our deepest desires that we are known. Listen to what God says about us in Psalm 139, verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Remember that word, know? That's the intimate word that God knows us, not knows about us, not knows our name. He knows us through and through Intimately, God knows us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge... It's too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. What does that mean? It means I can't understand how much God knows me. I can't fathom. It's too, it's too high. I, I can't even begin to fathom that God knows my thoughts. God knows my heart. God knows when I sit, when I lie. God knows why I go out, why I come back. God knows everything about me and you because God knows us intimately. That's our need we have. Whether we're known by others is secondary. But God Almighty knows us by name. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Romans chapter 8. Because one question you might have, it's great that God loves the world, but does he love me? Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. In other words, absolutely nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? that God looks at you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, you, whom 
I love. Incredible. Would you pray with me? God, we live in such a broken world. And we're all messed up. But thank you for your love. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you want to spend eternity with us. So much so that you would send Jesus to die for us. To rise three days later to assure us that our faith is in Christ and our heaven, our eternal life is secure in Jesus. That heaven is not based on what we do or what we don't do. It's based entirely on what you did for us that we're so unworthy of. Thank you, Jesus, that you know us for who we are, and yet you still love us. Thank you so much that there's a place for us in heaven. And we just want to say thank you, Jesus, for loving us unconditionally. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.